You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Cade Young. This is the WFHB Local News for Tuesday, August 24th, 2021. Later in the program, WFHB producer Michael Glad speaks with bookseller Rick Morgenstern, taken from a recent airing of Big Talk, a one-on-one conversation with some of the community's most fascinating people. More coming up in today's feature reports. Also coming up in the next half hour, Ivy Tech Bloomington will host a walk-in vaccine clinic on Thursday at its main campus. More coming up in the top half of tonight's program. But first, your local headlines. The Bloomington Board of Parks Commission met on Wednesday to review and approve the 2022 Parks General Fund budget. Board member Catherine Mills introduced the meeting and shared what the board members would discuss. Um, so we have this special meeting today. Um, as traditionally, we we hear from Parks uh, Director Paula McDevitt about her budget that she will be presenting to the City Council soon and we get a uh, we get a preview of that and get to hear about all of the things to look forward to in the parks funding director paula mcdevitt explained the meeting would be reviewing the upcoming budget for the parks and recreation department however the budget would still need to be approved by the city council uh, so this budget preparation uh, actually starts in the early spring with the uh, program units drafting goals for the upcoming year. And uh, then we do a zero-based budgeting process. Um, Staff uh, turn in revenue projections. There are several uh, program areas that generate revenue that goes into the general fund, um, but also uh, revenue projections in the non-reverting fund. I will be presenting to the Parks Board uh, later this fall, the non-reverting budget for 2022. We always do the, the general fund first. Um, but the, the process for this is, again, is, is your review and approval today. And then Wednesday evening, I will be presenting to City Council the same presentation. Um, they will have the opportunity to ask questions, um, either about the work that we're currently doing this year and our goals and budget requests for next year. Um, then following that, um, we should receive some uh, questions from City Council that we follow up on. Um, And then the final budget won't be um, passed until October. McDevitt then shared survey data from Bloomington residents. Went through all of that information. And again, I want to share some of the top survey results with you because you will see through the budget process how those are woven into our budget requests. So one of the questions the top three facility uh, used, uh, no surprise here, walking and biking trails large community parks and green space and natural areas. Those were the top three. The top three social and cultural programs and services, um, again, farmer's market, that is traditionally, it continues to be um, the top survey response, art and cultural events and concerts. 
When we ask uh, residents what prevents residents from using parks and recreation services, not enough time, and I think we can all relate to that, trying to make time in your schedule, but we hope people um, do and that we can see that number go down um, in the next, next master plan. Um, the number two response was personal safety and concern. The park or trail is not safe. And number three, my neighborhood does not have a park, recreation facility, or trail within a 10-minute walk. We also are always are asking our residents uh, how satisfied they are with our programs and services. And this question asks the value that they received. And you can see that um, in this graph that 83% are very satisfied or satisfied with the uh, value they receive from our parks and programs. Director McDevitt shared the Parks and Recreation Department's major initiatives and how they have been successful in the past and what needs to be improved upon moving forward. She focused on programs which declined due to COVID-19 that they are hoping to see increase in popularity again soon. I can say that in 2021, we're seeing a, a, a rebound of people um, attending programs that, uh, for example, while we had to close Frank Southern, Center in earlier this year, we were able to operate uh, camps at a lower capacity, but still we're able to open camps, open Bryan Park Pool and Mills Pool. Uh, we're seeing a, a nice return of people attending community, all kinds of community events. But of course, we're continuing to monitor uh, the, the pandemic very closely and keeping our safety precautions in place. Two areas that saw a surge of participation despite the pandemic was in tennis. And we saw people out on our courts in record numbers in 2020, and that resulted in uh, about a 500% increase in tennis lessons this year. We used to average about 10 to 15 a session. We are seeing well over 100 people in our sessions this summer. So that, that was certainly encouraging. And golf, um, across the country, I think uh, golf is, is on an uptick. And at our golf course, we've seen a 13% increase in the 18-hole uh, golf course offerings there. So again, being careful, being mindful, but uh, good to see people out and physically active. Director McDevitt highlighted the Parks and Recreation Department's sustainability achievements and goals. Another area we focus a lot of effort on is sustainability and climate change practices. A team of our staff from Natural Resources, uh, from the community events, our health and wellness coordinator, worked with the city team on the city's 2018 sustainability action plan. And if you take a look at this, we are, the parks department is throughout the, this plan in habitat restoration, in tree planting, community gardens, um, invasive species removal, invasive species removal, our restoration projects. We are moving towards more battery operated uh, equipment and uh, natural resources programming, getting out in the community, educating our community, um, and key partnerships like the Monroe County identify and uh, reduce invasive species. This is a beautiful picture of Switchyard Park and some native plants found uh, by the spray pack. And of course, we're solar. We have been for a couple of years. Uh, you will see that in, in our budget, the least payment we make on that. And happy to report that uh, as of date in 2021, we have seen $28,844 in savings. 
McDevitt then went into depth on the budget proposed for the future of Bloomington Parks and Recreation Department. So overall, um, this gives you a summary of what our budget has been in the past couple of years. And uh, for this year, it is a total budget request for category one, two, three, and four is 9,723,349. Percentage of change is 1,304,141 or um, a 15% increase. So again, the presentation is heavy in uh, taking care of what we have um, based on survey results um, and what our community has told us, um, actively recovering from 2020 taking care of um, all that, we're, that uh, we are responsible for. And again, um, really living for the first time in Switchyard Park. And again, we're only, you know, not all the way through 2021, but learning a lot of what it takes to operate that park. So just in review, these are our areas of focus. It uh, encompasses all of our program areas. Um, we are grateful for the support that we get not only from Parks Board, but from City Council and from our community. And I just wanna give a shout out to our staff who have all contributed to the building of the, this budget from setting the goals, from staying on top of it, um, for actively participating in the master planning process that is setting our direction for the next five years. The Bloomington Board of Parks Commissioners voted unanimously to approve the budget as presented. This week, Ivy Tech Community College's Bloomington campus will host a vaccination clinic in partnership with Monroe County Public Health. The walk-in clinic is part of a larger project in which Ivy Tech collaborates with local pharmacies and health departments to offer vaccine clinics at 17 of its campuses across the state. Ivy Tech Bloomington Chancellor Jenny Vaughn walked through some basic details of the clinic in a phone interview with WFHB on Tuesday. That will take place this Thursday, August 26, uh, beginning at 11 a.m., and we will go all the way through 2 p.m. Um, this is in partnership with the Monroe County Health Department. Um, it'll also take place uh, on our main campus on the west side of town in Shreve Hall. Um, and so it, we have lots of uh, parking uh, on campus. So you'll you'll want to, if you're coming out to take the vaccine, you'll want to look for uh, doors either number two or three. That'll be closest to Shreve Hall. Um, and again, the hours are from 11 to 2 uh, this Thursday, August 26. Vaughn discussed which vaccine the clinic will offer and how Ivy Tech hopes to expand its vaccine options in future clinic sites. This particular clinic, we will be offering the J&J uh, vaccination, but we are looking at uh, holding additional clinics throughout the fall, and we are hopeful that uh, perhaps we might be able to uh, have other uh, vaccines uh, besides the J&J, &J, uh, the Moderna, or the Pfizer uh, vaccination. She mentioned a few incentives available for students and faculty at Ivy Tech to encourage them to get the vaccine. So for um, employees or any student of Ivy Tech, of Ivy Tech anywhere, Bloomington, outside of Bloomington, um, so if you're an employee or a student, we will be uh, providing everybody who, who gets the vaccine and completes a survey for us a $100 gift card to either Walmart, 
Target, or Amazon. So again, they, the uh, employee or the student would need to complete a survey in order to get that $100 gift card for this vaccine for this week. Now, the, the, uh, although the vaccination clinic is open to the public, um, only employees and students are eligible uh, for that incentive. Vaughn explains why she believes getting the vaccine is crucial in the fight against COVID-19, as cases, hospitalizations, and deaths continue to surge, especially among those who have not yet received the vaccine. Well, the more people who get vaccinated, uh, the, the quicker we can all get back to normal, where we will no longer need to wear our masks, we won't need to social distance, you know, and it's really affecting uh, younger people. So it's affecting our demographic on our campus, our our, our students, as well as our employees, um, you know, and even their children. So um, it, it's a very important uh, that we, we share that the vaccination clinic is open to the public. Anybody can come, but, you know, most importantly, uh, or equally as important, I'd love to see our, our young employees and our students uh, get the vaccination so that we can all return uh, back to some, some kind of normalcy that we experienced pre-COVID. Um, so it's just really important for everybody so we can uh, continue the, the lifestyle that we were always accustomed to. Vaughn says that Ivy Tech may offer another clinic in the near future. In the here and now, she urged folks to come out to the clinic Thursday to get the one-shot vaccine. Stay tuned, Ivy Tech. We we will uh, hopefully be able to offer additional clinics uh, throughout the fall semester. We're hopeful that that you, you know we can have one in September and even in October. And just ask everybody to do their part in uh, getting vaccinated uh, so that uh, life can return to normal. So thank you for the for the time today. The clinic on Thursday will be on a first come first serve basis, meaning an appointment is not necessary. A state-issued source of identification will be required. The Ellettsville Town Council held a second reading of a rezone request. At the August 23rd meeting, Council Member Scott Oldham talked about the petitioner's request to rezone a section on West State Road 46 from Commercial 3 to a planned unit development. He asked Planning Director Kevin Tolatoy for clarification on whether the petitioners had to go through the town council to build if the area remained a C3 zone. At C3, this apartment complex can be built, but it has to have commercial on the bottom, correct? Correct. And there is nothing at this point the council would need to do for the developer to build under those C3 conditions. Correct. If they chose to build the apartments with commercial underneath, it would just go through plan commission for a development plan approval. But that would almost be automatic, would it not? Uh, yeah, as long as they meet the requirements of the zoning ordinance, yes. Resident Brian Thomas expressed concern over how the project would affect area traffic. He said the project design fits the neighborhood, but that the apartments would overwhelm an already crowded Deer Park area. The traffic is already terrible trying to get out of uh, Deer Park, and this is going to make it even worse. Um, I think the other concern that I have is, you know, there's no guarantee that the other open roads will happen over to uh, the stoplight. So, you know, I think um, that's a that's a big concern for all of us who live in the neighborhoods. It's difficult to to drive through there. And, you know, I think uh, the, the area would be great for for houses. Um, it fits the, the neighborhood and 
um, would definitely stay in line with what we thought would be built back there when a lot of us moved in. Um, been there about 16 years now and really just hope that uh, this one is is not approved and in you know long term Mr. Blackwell thinks about um, another option if if the Ridge Group doesn't move ahead. Councilmember Trevor Sager motioned to approve the rezone. He said that the town council had no say in how the area was zoned when they annexed the land and praised the petitioners for helping scale the project back from commercial. I believe that our hands were kind of tied in this matter when it was zone C3, uh, when it was brought into the town. I would like to thank the Ridge Group for working with us to make this the best possible uh, project. Councilmember William Ellis opposed the entire project. He linked it to the Envision Ellettsville project and added that the vision of the town must start in planning. We have to get our vision of Ellettsville right in our planning and zoning. And I think this is more of a failure of something that's happened years ago that we're paying the price for it now. And we're going to be moving forward with Envision Ellettsville. And it really breaks my heart because I think the people involved with that, this isn't a vision for Ellettsville. The motion failed two to two, with Clerk Treasurer Sandra Hash abstaining on the tie-breaking vote. Without three votes on either side, the resolution is tabled until the next town council meeting. In today's feature report, we broadcast an excerpt from our public affairs program, Big Talk, a one-on-one -on -one conversation with some of the community's most fascinating people. Today's guest is Rick Morgenstern, owner of a new local independent bookstore who discusses a misconception about book sales in the year 2021. We turn to host Michael Glab for more. talk Michael Glab here my guest this week is a fellow who is taking a chance on something that you know conventional wisdom tells us he shouldn't be taking a chance on this we're going to find out about it he is of course Rick Morgenstern he is the person behind what is now called Morgensterns it's that independent new bookstore in the old Pier 1 location on the east side of Bloomington. Rick, thanks for joining us on Big Talk. Thanks for having me, Michael. Rick, uh, you know, for years, decades even, common knowledge has had it that books are dead. And now you and four investors are banking on that being untrue. So is it untrue? Well, I never bought into that folklore to begin with. I think that was a media portrayal. There are more books being sold and read than ever before. And uh, the industry maturing with the rise of both 
Borders and Barnes and Noble, two uh, national chains, uh, hasten that along. So the book is not dead by any means, and things are coming full circle in the industry uh, as Borders has left and Barnes and Noble is receding into major metropolitan areas. Independents are resurfacing to pick up the slack because there is a voracious appetite out there for books. You know, funny thing is, when you walk into the new Morgan Stearns, you think you're walking into a highly financed, big national chain. It's so beautiful in there. All the facilities are new and fresh. You can smell fresh carpeting when you walk in there. And you're going to have up to 50,000 books. Uh, you've got an operation going there now. We do. Um, and it's... Uh just like the operation we had in the 90s, uh, 25, 30 years ago, uh, with, a, with a contemporary spin on it. You know, uh, your old Morgan Stern bookseller store in the Eastland Plaza back then, in the late 90s, that was there before I came to this town. But ever since I came to this town in 2009, all I'd ever heard was about Morgan Stearns, the bookseller there, and people, people almost mourned that you had closed. Yeah, I found that uh, over the years to be true. I, I've encountered, I can't tell you how many times, uh, people on the street who say, are you the guy that had the bookstore? And that happened for years and years after we closed. I think it was a special business. We were able to really create a spirit of the place that people just uh, cherished at that time, and and there's a lot of fond memory about it out there. In that uh, time that it was open, as I say, it was on Eastland Plaza over by Third Street. Uh, that was like a driving destination for most people, wasn't it? Yeah, it wasn't very walkable then. Of course, we were at that time close to the campus, about a mile from Central Campus. But you know, independence like what we are what we put ourselves out to be are our destination businesses. High walkability doesn't have to be in place for a business like ours to be successful. Had you considered for the new store, Morgan Stearns, had you considered thinking about downtown Bloomington or was it always that you were going to stay on the east side? Well, to Two things come into play there, Michael. One is uh, I had my former business on the east side, and I'm fond of the east side. And so I wanted to return to the east side because that's where we were successful. And the second thing is there's a, a an operator in downtown Bloomington that is near and dear to both our hearts, Margaret Taylor. Right. And I did not want to uh, impede in her business in any way. So downtown was somewhat off limits to me, at least huh. around the square area, just to be respectful of Margaret and her business. It's said that when there's competition, it's good for both parties. I think it depends on the industry. That's certainly true in the fast food business. And it's true in the hotel business. Book selling is a, a niche, you know, retail industry. It's kind of a boutique niche. And I would not say that's true in the book business. So do you think that your presence might 
harm, say, a caveat emptor or even the book corner? Uh, and do you want that? Certainly don't want that. I'm, I'm a big believer in local independence existing together and actually thriving together. The book corner has its clientele and it's a high walkability business downtown, as you know. So I don't think there's uh, much threat from us for her. Um, and we certainly vocally and with our customers support Margaret in the book corner. Uh, don't want to see her go anywhere. And the same is true with Caveat Emptor, although it's a, a different creature. They're antiquarian books. And so the, I think overall they have a different type of customer than ours. I have talked to any number of people, Rick, and they say almost to a person, I want to go to both places, both Morgan Stearns and the book corner. Great. That's what I would hope to hear from people. Apparently, Rick, you have been involved in books for pretty much your whole adult life. Uh, you arrived in Bloomington in 1978 to attend IU, and you went to work at the TIS College Bookstore. That was your introduction to books, apparently. Well, uh, almost. When, before I came to Bloomington, uh, in the town where my mom and dad lived, the first job I ever had was as a bookseller in a local bookshop. And I think that happened when I was 16 years old. And then when I got to Bloomington to go to IU, I worked for 12 years at TIS in various capacities. So I cut my teeth in retail in the book business at TIS. Yeah. 12 whole years working at a bookseller, you must have uh, lived on a lot of ramen. A lot of ramen noodles, that kind of ramen? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yep. You can't get rich in the book business, but that's only financially. You get rich in your mind and in meeting people who love books as well as you do. Yeah, and I would... Uh... I would say that just like with any other business, uh, the a matter the the uh, material wealth that comes out of it is a function of how strong a business you run. So I would agree that most small independent bookstores are labors of love more than vehicles to gain material abundance. The larger independent stores, I think that's uh, there could be there is a different path than that if the business is properly run. It's just like any other business. Business is a uh, collection of processes and uh, numbers. And if those processes and numbers are followed in a disciplined way, it can lead to really good things uh, in terms of material abundance. That's true for the book business, just like any other business. You know, Rick, from what I can tell, you were over at TIS College Bookstore for, uh, oh, maybe about six or seven years, and then you started thinking about opening your own. What put that idea into your mind? Well, um, TIS at that time uh, had a general bookshop, and I was manager of that. I, I actually created the bookshop in the main store, and I saw a need in town over time for a major comprehensive independent bookstore. And I approached EIS about doing that with their business. Um, they passed on that idea 
And I thought to myself at the time, well, the idea still has merit and I have an entrepreneurial spirit about me. I think I'll just take that on. So that's kind of the beginning of the whole process for me. And that happened in 1985. That whole process started, I think. Big Talk airs each Thursday at 5.30 p.m. and again on Friday at 11.30 a.m. on WFHB Community Radio. The program is available online at wfhb.org and wherever you listen to your podcasts. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Cade Young, Noel Herhusky Schneider, and Jake Jacobson in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Michael Glapp. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. For WFHB, this is your engineer and executive producer, Cade Young. And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters, WFHB, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another WFHB Local News program. Stay tuned for Planetary Radio, a program dedicated to space exploration. Coming up next on WFHB.